When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back to a new installment of the Wide Ride Podcast. I'm your host, Manny Navarro, Miami Hurricanes beat writer for The Athletic. Tonight is Wednesday, March 9th, 2022. It's 5.30 p.m. and I've got Carlos Lido of the MIA All Day Podcast back on with us. And today we're actually going to see if we upload this this, uh, episode to YouTube. So this may be the first time you get to see how bad looking i really am carlos at least is wearing a canes cap which makes him yeah i'm I'm covering up the male pattern baldness uh i kind of look like a soccer ball right now because i haven't cut my hair in the last couple weeks so i've got the patches so uh, i had to wear the canes cap also because i had to rub the canes so this is also (laughs) a warning for for anybody that's that's uh, a fan of the show please if you do not like men in their 40s that are slightly out of shape avert your eyes Stick right. to the podcast. I'm I'm terribly out of shape. You're slightly out of shape, but I'm if, terribly. If this out is of shape. Uh, if, if like dad bods are your thing, then hey, no, we're the magic mic of the dad bod. <laughs> Carlos, uh, first two days of spring practice are in the books, and I want to answer mailbag questions like we usually do. Um, but I also want to sort of break down, I think, by position, kind of what I've seen the first couple of days developments. The last time we recorded a podcast last week, you know, the Jason Taylor news. Um, as well as the hiring of Roderick Wright had just sort of happened. Um, and we kind of reacted to that live. And we talked a whole lot about coaching. I don't want to, you know, spend too much time talking about coaching, but, um, you know, personnel, any questions that are sort of on your mind, on the public's mind here after two days of practice? I know I'm excited. Um, I'm going to be leaving Friday for California with the uh, seven on seven uh, team, the South Florida Express. They're going to be playing. Um, in the tournament out in Los Angeles for the first time in three years, Brett gets, who is uh, the guy, one of the guys who runs uh, the South Florida express invited me to come along, kind of embed myself uh, with the team so that I could write about That's such uh, a, an official journalist word. You're right. embedded with the South Florida express Be embedded with them while they visit USC, UCLA um, and playing a tournament out there. I think we're going to go to the Chinese man theater as well. Um, we're, we're going to, we're going to be out there for three, three full days, flying back, taking the red eye back, uh, Monday morning. So it's going to be a nice experience. Sports Illustrated kind of did the same thing about, about a decade ago with the South Florida express, um, following them through Southeast country. They were with them for a week and, and wrote a story. A lot of great players on this South Florida express team. Um, I got the list here. I was going to just throw some of them out, uh, just because Brett had sent me it. Um, let me get to it here in a second. Where is it? Well, I will say this. Just so long as you go out there to California and when you come back from L.A., you don't embed yourself with a Laker girl, I think you'll be totally fine. If you do that, <laughs> when you come back here, your, your shit may be on the lawn. <laughs> All right. These are some of the standout names. Brandon Innes, five-star receiver from American Heritage. Carnell Tate, five-star receiver out of IMG Academy. Lamar Seymour, who's currently a Canes commitment from Miami Northwestern. He transferred there. 
Uh, Nathaniel Joseph, Clemson commitment. He's at Edison. Um, Edwin Joseph, a receiver out of Chaminade. Alan Mitchell, running back. He's one of the top uh, pass-catching running backs in the country out of Missouri. Mark Fletcher, the four-star tailback. Uh, Cormani McLean, who, of course, is the big five-star cornerback. I'd say he's the number one target on Miami's board. Mm-hmm. Um, who else? I mean, there's a lot of big names on here. Uh, Tony Mitchell, another big-time cornerback out of uh, Alabama. He's going to be going on the trip as well. I think he's a five-star kid. Um Damon Fagan out of Plantation Megan Heritage, a safety, a four-star kid. Hakeem Williams, four-star wide receiver. They're spending about fifteen or sixteen thousand dollars on this trip, and uh, you know it, it's kind of a, I don't know. I think it's kind of a cool thing. You know, these guys are going to be stars in college football for the years to come. So hopefully, I, I have some good stories to tell uh, when I get back um, from Cali. But I'm looking forward to that. But let's let's focus on um, current practice i mean two practices in what what has sort of grabbed you carlos i know you read and, and obviously you have your own podcast the mia all day pod what's kind of grabbed you here from the first couple of days that's uh sort of left an impression on you well first of all thank you for the uh the respect that i actually read and and inform myself you may have given me a little bit more credit than than you should especially when it comes to spring football but i have been reading up and to me the most interesting development so far is that battle between Thad Franklin and uh, Henry Paris Jr. at the running back spot for that number one rep. So that means to me <clears throat> that, you know, it's, it's an open competition to see who's going to be playing behind Jalen Knight right now. And these two guys are going to have that leg up on Don Chaney Jr. when he comes back. Uh, to me, it, it may very well be that maybe the guy that wins this battle in the spring could be the number one running back uh, coming into fall camp just because they were there and they took the reps. And the fact that Thad Franklin is sort of splitting reps with Henry Parrish right now tells me, and along with the reports that he's rebuilt his body, he looks a little bit better, a little bit leaner, a little bit stronger, um, that he could possibly push for that number one running back position. And then that could shake things up in terms of who transfers out, who stays, and all that kind of stuff. You know, it, it, it's funny. I, I don't know who you've been reading. I, I didn't come away with that impression necessarily. I saw Parrish, and I thought he was a little undersized, and I thought, you know, Jalen Knighton, they're listed as the same height and weight or very similar. And I feel like Jalen Knighton is considerably bigger in his upper body than, than Harry, than Henry Parrish. He looks more to me like a third down back, a guy who you use in the passing game quite a bit. And I'm not saying he can't be effective, but uh, I know the reputation is, well, if he ran for this many yards in the SEC, he must be good. Go back and look at how many yards a lot of teams ran for in the SEC. These aren't right. the old defenses. <laughs> Yeah, uh, that they used to face back in the day uh, when he was over there at Ole Miss. So, um, you know, a lot of big yardage. Uh, I'm not trying to say Henry Parrish isn't a good player, but certainly my impression after two days is he's a little small. And I don't know that he's the kind of back that you can necessarily give the ball a ton to. I think that's why they recruited a guy like uh, Toronto Citizen and, and why they've got, you know, big bodied guys like Thad Franklin and Cody Brown there so that you have a little bit more mass guys that can bruise between the tackles. And then you have a guy like Parrish and Knighton who are more on the outside injuries is a big story, Carlos. Uh, There's 15 guys out, another two that are limited. I'm going to go over the list quickly. And and to your point, to your point on the running backs, I don't think necessarily there's going to be one guy that takes 30 carries a game. Anyway, I think there's going to be the, since they have a versatile uh, group of backs in terms of their skill sets, I think they're going to use those guys situationally to get what they can out of them and get the most to maximize each player's abilities. Mm-hmm. So I think there'll be a role uh, if Thad Franklin sticks around for a, for a big back like him. I think Jalen Knighton paired up with Henry Parrish, if they're both similar lightning kind of backs, 
in a backfield where they're both together uh, on passing downs, especially to use them both in the passing game, could be a nightmare for defenses where they have to match up and play the run with two running backs and possibly a tight end in, uh, and respect that or also get run over and also have to match up with them now, put a linebacker on one or both of them, and that kind of a situation will be dangerous. So I think for right now, although somebody might be listed the starter, uh, it doesn't mean that guy's going to get 30 carries. It might mean that he gets 15 to 18 as opposed to everybody else's 10. Right. Um, I agree. I, I don't know that there's going to be a clear cut number one back, but um, all right, let me, let me look at um, the injuries. Cause I want the public, I, I know this has been out there since Monday and, and Mario thankfully provided us with a list on Monday for the first practice. We had talked about that. I said, are you going to give us information? And when I ran into him in Lakeland uh, for his speech and we talked for 15, 20 minutes, um, I mentioned to him, you know, can, could we know, could you give us a heads up as far as injuries? Cause we're all going to be out there with their binoculars and their cameras taking attendance and saying who's out, who's not. Um, first off, these are the guys that are out for sure. Romello Brinson, Sam Brooks, Jr. Uh, Cheney, who you mentioned, obviously Jalen Knight and Lou Hadley, the punter, Jabari Ishmael, Tyler Johnson, Cam Kitchens, Nigel E. Kelly, Antonio Moultrie, Kamari Rogers, Chase Smith, Tyreek Stevenson, Isaiah Walker, Jr., Kashawn Washington, and then limited are Jalen Rivers and John Campbell. And I know some of you maybe don't remember what position some of those guys play, but we're going to go position by position here and discuss some of this stuff. The bigger overview, Carlos, that I have from looking at this, the amount of guys that are out, especially at some key positions on the offensive line. I, I view this as not that it's a wasted spring, but if you're looking for clarity on the depth chart, okay, and I, and I wrote down who were the first team guys and second team guys and who's kind of being rotated in with the backups as well. Uh, and, we'll, and we'll go position by position. But I, I just think we're not going to really get anything out of the spring other than some good work for some guys that don't play a lot. And I think for us to, to for anybody to say this guy locked up a position in the spring or this guy is ahead of this guy. There's too many key players out with injuries to, to be able to say that, especially at, you know, position battles that we know are probably going to go down to the very end like linebacker. Um, Chase Smith is, is, is a big time kid from Miami. He's, he's out this spring. He's one of the guys out, um, cornerback. You got Stevenson out, obviously, um, Kamari Rogers, the talented, you know, elite top 100 player recruit at cornerback. He's out following, you know, his senior season injury. Yeah. Daryl um, Porter Jr. is not even on campus. Another guy that they're going to add into the rotation. Correct. And, and, you know, I just, Antonio Moultrie, who they obviously dipped into the transfer portal to get a defensive tackle. Um, I know we love to do this stuff where we, 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 well, what's the depth chart look like, right? We need to know every single day. I just want everybody to get this between their ears. It doesn't matter what happens this spring. It just doesn't, it doesn't matter in terms of position battles. Okay. If that's what you, if that's what you guys want to sit here and, and gossip about and talk about and all that kind of stuff and be like, Oh, this is what's it, it's a waste of time. I'm going to give you where guys lined up for a second team who's getting reps, but I'm just saying, understand that a lot of this stuff is going to be blown up because of the guys that are out uh, running back. Obviously that's, <laughs> I mean, you have your top two guys essentially out, um, you know, so, and, and something else with the absences um, I'm going to say this right now. I, there, there are a couple guys who weren't out there today among those 15 that are ruled out for the spring that I know, or at least it seems to me that it's going to happen that, they're they're probably going to be part of the football team come the summer. Those are going to be among the guys that, that transfer out. And those are the guys that aren't at practice right now. Um, <clears throat> right. That are maybe finishing out the spring semester and entering the transfer portal at the end. I'm not going to sit here and, and, and name names, but look at the videos. Look at who gets reported on. Listen to our show today. And if you hear me mention that somebody was out there, 
then you can scratch them off the list of absences. Right. But 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 uh, the other guys who I do not mention as being out there, those would be the leading candidates to leave because that's a popular question I get. And I, I don't want to sit here and, and, and say for sure that those guys are gone. But I'm just saying put two and two together and do the right. math in your head and, and you can figure it out that way. Yeah, and I think I don't ever really put a lot of stock into spring football and the way people perform uh, in the spring game because, again, most of the time during the spring, that's when a lot of guys have surgery, right? That's when a lot of guys have uh, treatment to repair their bodies and they spend that time away from the team, not competing completely uh, in full contact activity to be able to get their bodies back to where they should be. Um, Of course, now with the transfer portal, a lot of guys will come in after spring uh, and join the team. And also when you have, you know, guys that can't graduate early and and get here, uh, you know, during the spring, you'll have your freshman class coming in during the summer. So that's a lot of of stuff that's moving parts, essentially. So you've got a a lot of guys playing roles in the spring that aren't necessarily going to have roles in the fall. For instance, I'll give you an example. Last year, everybody was raving after the spring game about that walk-on wide receiver uh, from East Mississippi Community College or whatever it was uh, from the uh, the Netflix series, the the Mississippi Junior College, the guy that came from there, uh, where he had Don, like Dante Johnson. You're talking about, yeah, yeah, where he had like six catches for 150 yards. Mind you, he was going up against a small five foot four kid who was a walk on and who ran like a six four forty, and he was dogging him out. So yeah, of course he looked good, but you know you never heard about him the rest of the season because that's just a guy that was stepping in during the middle of a spring game to add more bodies uh, to be able to get other guys reps. And really, the key this spring is because of the transition from Manny to Mario is how these guys adapt to the new style of coaching, how practices will be run, how conditioning will be run, how everything, the entire program, the infrastructure of it is set up. Can they handle that? How do they adapt to it? And how do they grasp the new playbook on offense and defense and special teams? That's going to be essential as well. Are there going to be guys that may be considered frontline guys now after workouts, but start slipping down the depth chart or slipping behind in the coach's eyes because they may be first, uh, first on the depth chart throughout the spring because there's nobody else to put out there. But come fall camp, they're slid back to third or fourth because they can't pick up the playbook, right? They're just out there right now to get a body out there, to get a guy going for reps. So those, to me, are the things that I'm looking for in the spring. And obviously, you don't want to hear about somebody doing so poorly that they're just being mentioned every day in the paper or on a podcast. Uh, and you don't want to have any catastrophic, catastrophic injuries. So that, to me, is the most important thing about spring, spring ball. All right. Let's start. I mean, we, we can go mailbag or we can dive into position groups. I, I'm trying to figure out what strategy works best because I feel like sometimes with the with the uh, questions in the mailbag, we kind of end up repeating ourselves. Right. Some of the same right. things are or are, are responded to. Um, let, let's start with it. Let's start. Let's go position by position and then we'll dive into the question. Why don't you mix it up? Go one position and hit a mailbag. All right. Well, this one kind of goes hand in hand. If we're going to start with quarterback, right, which we always end up starting with quarterback, we can start with this question. Number one question for me is, why would you ask Jake Garcia that question? <laughs> so let's tackle. Let's Are you still tackle. defending yourself? It's been like almost a week, dude. Like, really? We're gonna- <laughs> well, it's been a few days. It would happen Monday. Um, and I and I basically just for the people unfamiliar, I tweeted out essentially that I asked Jake Garcia why he's still here. Okay, and I know that's the very extremely shortened version. And the reason I shortened it is because I wanted to get a picture of Garcia and his response, his quote out, because I thought the quote was more important than the question. Um, But essentially what I asked him in a very polite manner, by the way, it was not as short or as curt. Why are you still here? I want you to understand that Uh, my question was in long form. um, It's obvious Tyler Van Dyke had a great finish to last season. Right. 
he everybody expects him to be the starter. You could have very easily entered the transfer portal and said, screw it. I'm going to go be a starting quarterback somewhere else because he is one of the first of all, he's the highest rated quarterback Miami has recruited um, since Kyle Wright in 2003. And that's just according to the 247 composite rankings. So he's he's super talented. Everybody knows. Why did you you know, why did you essentially say, hey, all, despite all of that, I want to come back because I know he loves being at Miami. I watched him on the sideline. Uh, late in the season, he was getting into huddles. I tweeted about it during during the last couple of games, how engaged um, Jake was. And, you know, his response quite simply was, look, I- I'm here for the competition, bro. Like, I, I-, I want to come back and be a part of this. And um, I thought it was a great answer. It was what I was looking for. I was looking for him to sort of say what speak from the heart. Like, I didn't want right. him to give us the the political answer. And he said, look, I'm, I'm all about competition. I'm not going to run from it. And so that's why I asked him that question. And I'll say this um, from for the Miami fans who, who were outraged with me for for asking him, why is he still here? Essentially, um, he's not an idiot. Like, I'm not all of a sudden putting the idea in his head that he shouldn't be here. Like, <laughs> he's not right. all of a sudden it's, like, wait a minute, is, you mean I should have left? The kid is not so naive that he didn't watch. Like he watched Tyler Van Dyke last season and it's not like sitting in his head like, oh, that guy's not that good. It's not like he's likely to be the starter after a season like that. He it, it, it didn't like it didn't dawn to him on him that he would be playing from behind and having to outcompete this guy to be able to win <clears throat> that starting job now. But at the same time, I think it's great the response that he gave uh, because it shows not only that he's he's thought about it and he's he's been thoughtful, deeply thoughtful about it with himself and his parents, but it shows his mentality and it shows it's the kind of mentality that this program has wanted to rebuild that has been lacking in this program for over a decade now maybe two decades, where it always used to be everybody's coming in to compete. It doesn't matter who the starter is. It doesn't matter who's on the depth chart. Even when the season starts, people keep competing to try and claw their way into the starting role. And that's why so many of the great Canes of the past often started on the bench, and then somebody gets injured or something happens, they get thrown into the fire, and all of a sudden they're a superstar. Um, so this is the kind of mentality that's been lacking for the last 20 years. And I think Mario's trying to rebuild that. And I think having a guy like Jake Garcia at a position at quarterback with a guy like Tyler Van Dyke in front of him, saying he's not afraid of that competition, knowing how well Tyler Van Dyke played last year and how hyped up he is coming into the season as possibly a Heisman candidate, I think says a lot about the kid, his character, and what he's hopefully, hopefully trickling down to the rest of the team. I wrote a big story about Jake, um, you know, on why he committed to Miami. Um, right after it all sort of went down, you know, talking to his dad and, and getting the whole history. His dad, by the way, texted me. I have a text here from his father. Um, Monday night who said, look, just wanted to tell you that I spoke to Jake after the pressure today and he was 100% not questioning your motive for your question. Um, so nobody's offended in the Garcia family. Um, they, all that they, really matters. they, they understand that. Um, and, and I, and I would say ultimately to the Canes fans that, and this isn't related to anything Garcia messaged me. Um, but I, I would say to the Canes fam, when you attack your own writers or you attack your own players, that's noticed. That's all I'm going to say about it. That that's noticed by the, by the players, the parents, the, the family. And so this, this whole thing on social media and Twitter of, of just going after people is not necessarily a good thing for you guys to do. I'm not saying you, don't, you look, I say something that, that is, and, and it's my fault, by the way, I shouldn't have tweeted that it was that short version of the question because it, it didn't show like I gave a damn. It sounds like I was really rude to him, which I wasn't. And I tried to explain myself afterward, but people were still upset. But my whole point is, you know, 
everything that you say on social media, there's somebody watching. And I get messages from parents all the time saying, I can't believe the fans are acting like this, or I can't believe, um, you know, they're attacking our kids like this. Um, and all of that hurts. And social media is, is a dangerous weapon. And I can tell you that coaches that were at Miami have complained about that. They've, they've openly complained about the way the fans sometimes react on social media. So again, you want to attack me? That's cool. I don't give a damn. I can defend myself just fine. Right. But I think fans ought to think about that. All right. But as far as the overall quarterback position is concerned, now that we've gotten past the mailbag question for it, <laughs> um, uh, how does Tyler Van Dyke look? I, I would say he looks just as good as he did at the end of last season. I spoke to Tyler when he was filming his commercial for Life Wallet last week. I was I was there Friday for about four and a half hours uh, with John Ruiz and his people uh, in, in a fancy building in Coral Gables. Very they nice. were film- yeah, where they were filming this commercial with 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 Tyler and about five offensive linemen. And I can tell you, as far as the playbook and everything else is concerned, he, you know, he talked about it being more challenging. He says there's more, you know, wrinkles in the formations and so forth. But ultimately, it's just the language is different, but the concepts are the same. So it's just about learning a new language. Guys like Tyler and Jake, that's what quarterbacks do. The bigger question I have is how the other positions respond to it. Do the receivers pick up the language? Do they understand where they're supposed to be? Um, you know, people have asked me, why do you change the language? Carlos, I, I think because you, you change the language because Mario's here. It's an entirely different regime. Yeah, not only that, I mean, usually like it's not like Nick Saban, right? Nick Saban makes all his offensive coordinators adapt to his terminology that they use on offense and defense. Same thing with the defensive coordinators. Um, you know, it's been famously stated by Kelvin many times that whoever comes in as the OC is going to have to use the same terminology they've been using for years. You could use your concepts, but you have to adapt it to what we call them, our language. Um, but like you said, coming in, Josh Gaddis is coming into a system that's brand new with Mario Cristobal. Everybody's coming together for the first time. It's not like a holdover staff from Oregon. So right. it is a new language that everybody's learning. So maybe even uh, Josh Gaddis's language is something that's that's been simplified from his time in Michigan or adjusted to help everybody understand it uh, on the staff, not just the team. Because remember, it's not just the players learning this offense. Frank Ponce has never run this offense with Josh Gaddis, right? Kevin Smith has never run this offense with, with, with Josh Gaddis. Neither has Alex Mirabal. So everybody's learning on the fly how this offense works and operates. Now, the concepts they understand. Right. Everybody understands what a power is. Right. Everybody understands what an inside zone is. Everybody understands what necessarily maybe say a, a smash route is or, or whatever the case may be. But what they call it, how they call it and how they package it with those formations, motions and other twists. That's where it gets a little complicated. And I think it's more difficult on the quarterback because the quarterback has to know where the other 10 guys are on the field at all times and what they're doing to really understand the entire concept of the scheme, to really know where to go with the football and how to adjust and how to make calls at the line of scrimmage. Whereas you know, an offensive lineman may up come to the line of scrimmage and just need to understand, okay, what's the blocking scheme? That's it. I don't give a shit about the formation unless we're going tackle over unbalanced or something like that. I'm going to line up in the same place anyway. I just need to know what we're running. Like a receiver will have to know motions and how to adjust his, uh, his, his, um, his alignment and all those kinds of things. So it's a little bit more difficult for them. And the running backs have to adjust how they align and their, their blocking scheme. How do they play into the pass protection and things of that nature? So each position group adapts a little bit differently, whereas, like I said, the heavy burden is on the quarterback to understand where everybody else is. But if he's picking it up and he understands it, that's the most important thing because at the end of the day, he can direct people to where they need to go. As you see many times when guys come to the huddle and like, what do I do? I don't know. Quarterbacks will direct them to go where to go. And if you at least have one guy uh, in that same position group that can guide somebody else, like a, a guard telling a center or a center telling a guard or a guard telling a tackle, yo, this is what we have. Okay, I got it. And they can figure it out. 
Well, and, and I would say the good part of, of this all is that they're, they're starting install or started install three or four weeks ago already. So like, it's not like, um, you know, they, they, they're getting into spring practice and all of a sudden what's the oh, name of that to. play? Like they've been studying this for three or four weeks during the fourth to. quarter program and so forth. Tyler was out there, you know, they can't use a football, but using a towel for, for so to yeah. speak, you know, doing, doing things to follow the rules, but going through the motions, um, and having familiarity with everything that, that, uh, Josh Gaddis and Frank Ponce and those guys want them to do another note on the quarterbacks. Um, Ja'Curry Brown to me looks phenomenal. Like physically, he looks like a kid that fits Miami. And that to me is a, is a big theme in all this. Uh, when I look at this roster is who fits Miami, Mario Cristobal's Miami. Um, I think Ja'Curry Brown definitely fits Mario Cristobal's Miami. Um, is he deadly accurate? No, he's got to work on that still, but he improved his senior year of high school and being here early in camp allows you to be in a position where in the event, Jake Garcia wants to leave $60,000 this year and $85,000 next year on the table for life wallet, right? Mm -hmm. Because he would transfer to another school and potentially not represent them anymore. If he wants to leave, I am not scared having Ja'Curry Brown be the backup quarterback. Now, when you say, say right now, when you say he fits Miami, what about him do you think fits Miami the most? Um, first of all, I think it's he, very cerebral, um, very concentrated into it. Um, you know, one thing Josh Gaddis said today after practice is, and we noticed this during the, we, we get to watch two periods of 11 on 11, by the way, Carlos, I should have mm-hmm. said that maybe from the top. The rest of it is individual yeah, drills. And that also for you guys that, that, that are out there listening to the pod or watching, I'm sorry again, forgive us for the way we look <laughs> on YouTube. Um, I don't get to watch shit. So <laughs> I rely on Manny <laughs> for all this information. So that's why I'm asking. Okay. Well, we, we watch about 15 minutes of 11 on 11, or at least we did the first two days. Um, I can tell you from, from watching uh, those minutes. And, and, and again, God has said this after practice. Um, you're only seeing Tyler and Jake get the snaps in those 11 on 11 drills. Mm-hmm. And he said, but, but while you're watching, I'm watching and, and I see Jacari Brown behind Jake while he takes a snap physically going through the motions and the reads on his own behind the quarterback. Now you're saying, well, why is he doing that? He's um, taking mental reps. Yeah. You, you, you played quarterback. Why do you do that? He's taking mental reps because as, as instead of standing on the sideline or standing behind the quarterbacks and just jerking around and laughing and playing around, what he's doing is he's taking the same sight reads, taking the same mental rep that Jake Garcia is and watching it all develop at the same time. So although he's not able to take the snap and throw the football, he's going through the progression in his mind to know that what this look like, this is the look that we're getting. This is where I think the ball should go. Okay. Jake went there. I would have gone over here, but why this is what they did on the defensive end defensive side to react to what the route call was. So he's basically in the game. He's in the practice mentally. He's not physically doing it, but mentally he's playing that chess match with the defense and seeing, okay, so this is how that route concept looks against cover three, or this is how it looks like against cover four. This is how it looks like if we've got a blitzing corner and this is a hot read in that situation. So he's going through all these progressions. So when he gets his chance to go 11 on 11, he already knows what to do. He's not going in there cold. He's not going there trying to figure it out as he goes along. He's already got the mental side down. Now it's just executing it physically. He's got really good zip on his ball, a lot of arm strength. Um, you know, the comparison for him for, by a lot of people was Cam Cam Newton. I don't know that he's Cam Newton. I just know that he's good. And I know that he's going to be good right. uh, with Frank Ponce working with him. So I'm, again, you, you, I, I always look at this thing from how does Miami sustain success? 
Well, first of all, Tyler Van Dyke goes pro after this season. Jay Garcia is the quarterback for next year at the very least. And then Ja'Curry Brown, after two years of being in the system, is ready to tackle it in 24. That's how you get in position to win a national championship, in my mind. You have to have that position position solidified the way Ohio State does every single year. They bring in a boatload of QBs, guys transfer out. Right now, this setup, one, two, three, is phenomenal for Miami. And, and And, you know, you talk about depth, right? Mario, the first day, he basically made it known this team is not very deep. And then when he says that, it's not that they don't have enough scholarship players. They're over the scholarship limit. What he means is, we're not at the championship level depth that I that I know Miami has to be at. And to me, and we're going to get into these other positions in a second, but um, which, it, by the way, you've been harping on that for quite a long time. Yes, saying that a lot of these guys may be four stars, but they're overrated. Yes, uh, and they're not as good as people thought they were coming in. And people have shit on that idea that you know because you know what happens a lot with recruiting is, you know, like anything. Like if you're a comic book fan, you have your favorite superhero, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mine happens to be Superman. That's my thing. But anyway. Um, if you have a favorite player in that recruiting class, you're apt to cape up for that player, right? You're apt to stand up for him and say, no, it's the coaching staff. It's a system. This guy was great in high school. I loved him. Why isn't he playing? Right. And then you get sort of blinded by that love of, of that player. Um, so when you get somebody from the outside, Mario, who now you trust, where everybody wanted and believes in as a talent builder, as a talent evaluator and recruiter and a winner as a coach, and he comes in and says, yeah, these guys aren't all that. Maybe we should listen, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and look, every time I form my own opinions, Carlos, and, and this is just quick because I want to get to my other point. But when I form my opinions, it's not because it's me, Manny Navarro watching football on his own. It's because I speak to a lot of people in this game, scouts, uh, people who, who are in the recruiting game that do evaluations. Um, and we have honest conversations and you, you talk about the talent on this team. Where is Miami championship level right now? That's a big question. I think quarterback, I think tight end, yeah. I think safety. I think those are the three positions that I look at and I say on paper. Without a doubt, yeah. Can they win a championship with the guys that they have there? And I and what I mean by championships, can they win an ACC championship? I'm not talking about national title. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm talking about are they good enough to win an ACC <laughs> title? Where are they good enough to win an ACC title? I think those three positions in terms of depth, talent, and ability, high-end ability, they have those three positions solidified. Um, everywhere else, there are holes and there are questions. And we'll dive into some of those here. Um, let's let's get to, we, we started off with quarterback. Um, we can get to running back, which we've kind of already covered. Yeah, we talked about that a little bit. Thad Franklin is taking most of the first team reps. Cody Brown is doing most of the second team. Henry Parrish is kind of sprinkled in wherever they, they want him to go. The bigger question here is, is a guy like Josh Gaddis, who had a phenomenal offensive line at Michigan and some good, really good running backs, how is he going to sort of use the system? Is it going to be power football? Is it going to be a mix of it? How is he going to sort of use these running backs? Number one, I think they're going to be highly involved in the passing game. I've seen them catch a lot of balls in practice, which Miami, when they were at their best, uh, Melvin Bratton, Lonzo Highsmith, uh, Cleveland Gary. I mean, guys are catching the balls out of the backfield. Yeah. Um, Even last year, the most explosive plays uh, often came from Jalen Knighton in the passing game. In the passing game. So I, I, I'm encouraged by that. Um, where, where they still have a long ways to go, and I think we're not going to get those answers this spring, is the running game. And that's because you have Jalen Rivers and John Campbell out. And I think both of those guys 
are in the competition with Justice Olawasun, Usman Treor, um, Logan Sagapolu, the transfer from from Oregon. Those guys, to me, those three are, are, you know, those five rather are competing essentially for starting jobs. Um, probably two or three starting jobs if Ja'Kai Clark keeps his his job and, and performs well. He's, he's played a whole lot at Miami. Um, and and then the bigger issue is do you keep DJ Scaife at right tackle? I know we're kind of doing double positions here between running back and offensive line, but they, to me yeah. it goes hand in hand because it's the running game. Um, I, I Honestly, I don't think Scaife stays out of tackle. To me, that, that experiment has failed. Right. Um, we've seen it with two different coaching staffs and it just does not – he's not long enough at tackle and I don't think he has the feet to play tackle to be able to handle those those fast bookends that come around the corner hard. Now, I think he plays a lot better in the interior because obviously it's it's less range of motion. It's sort of playing like in a box in a, in a, in a phone booth when you're having to pass protect in that area. Um, the the problems that he has are in the run game. So when he has to either you know uh, double or get to the second level or pull, he's not that great at it um, because he lacks the athleticism. I think from the running back perspective, what you're going to see in terms of the run scheme is a mix of things. I think Josh Gaddis, when he first came into Michigan, uh, came in with a, a mostly zone scheme in terms of his run game. And then he adapted over time to fit what his strengths were with uh, that offensive line. So that's why he went to more of a power heavy uh, gap, what they call gap scheme uh, this past year with Michigan, where there was a lot of pulling, a lot of power action, a lot of counter a lot of things where we had offensive linemen in motion and movement coming downhill on the defensive line. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for instance, I actually ran the numbers and I was able to pull this up pretty quickly. All I right. Scrolling. I love it when you share numbers. Go for it. <laughs> so, in 2019, Michigan, Josh Gaddis, as the offense coordinator, 66% of their runs were zone runs. All right. In 2020, he adjusted that. They only went zone 37% of the time. And in 2021, they only ran zone 28% of the time. And their numbers went from in 19 to from 151 yards rushing per game. In 20, they had a dip to 131 yards, but that was a COVID year. So it was kind of a weird year. But in 21, they ran for 214 yards a game. So it, his scheme is really, it's predicated upon using his talent, maximizing it, and doing whatever it takes to get the most out of them. So if a zone scheme is what fits best, that's what he'll go with. If a power scheme is what it fits best, or a mix of both, Depending on the circumstances, what five guys he has up there blocking for his for his running backs, that's what he's going to go with. But I would imagine at first he's going to try both and then go with what he feels fits this offensive line talent best. All right. These are the guys that, uh, I mean, from first team reps, and, and this has been pretty consistent the first two days. Zion Nelson, left tackle, Justice Olawasun at left guard, Ja'Kai Clark at center, Usman Treyar at right guard, and DJ Scaife at right tackle. That's been the first team pretty much the first two days. Um, second team, Michael McLaughlin, the second year freshman, um, at left tackle, Lauren Seymour at left guard, Ryan Rodriguez at center. All those guys were part of the 2020, um, one or 21 recruiting class. Mm-hmm. You got Cleveland Reed at right guard, Chris Washington at right tackle. And then Logan Sagapolo has kind of been both at center at guard at different times that I've seen him. Um, those are the 11 guys that are sort of in the mix with snaps and workloads, obviously Jalen Rivers and John Campbell are going to get back into it. Um, but, you know, that's kind of the the concept with that group right now. I think DJ Scaife, I agree with you. I think he's got to be a guard. I think that's where he performed his best in his career yeah. last year. Um, I think at tackle, you know, he's got challenges, which is why I think Jalen Rivers and John Campbell are probably competing 
for that right tackle spot and Scaife will be inside at right guard. Then, you know, kind of what happens with Joseph Solowasun, he's a very good pulling guard. Um, you know, does he sort of replace Navon Donaldson or do you put Jalen Rivers back in that spot um, at left guard where he was last year? I don't know. I think, I think right tackle has to take priority. You got to protect Tyler Van Dyke. So if he's the best right tackle on the team, then he starts at right tackle. Uh, and then you, then you figure out what you do between John Campbell and just a solo with soon at left guard, or if, if Usman Treyar is able to stay in there, but um, you know, those, those are going to be the battles in the fall right now. We're going to let these guys all get a ton of snaps. We're going to see them. Yeah. Whoever's you know, healthy is getting the snaps, right? Yeah. Whoever's healthy is getting the snaps and, 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 you know, McLaughlin to me looks really, really good. Uh, just watching him, uh, his body physically, he was one of the five guys in that commercial with Tyler Van Dyke uh, for, for Life Wallet. Um, good looking kid in terms of physics, uh, physicality and, and so forth. But, you know, they're practicing in shorts right now. So we'll, we will see what happens. Um, today, McLaughlin went up against Cyrus Moss and he ate him alive. He just kind of tossed him to the side. Cyrus Moss needs to put on some weight. We'll get to defensive linemen in a minute, but... I'm just saying McLaughlin has ability. He's a four-star kid. Uh, I like him. A big, big, tall kid. He's more 6'8 than he is 6'7, I think. Um, Long body, and he moves well. He's a former basketball player. He came from the Midwest. that's what you want to tackle. Yeah, you want those kind of guys. I like him a lot. Hopefully, he stays healthy this whole year and is able to to be a contributor and maybe sort of the swing tackle on the offensive line if John Campbell isn't able to get back to 100%. Um, All right. There was one running back related question uh, from the mailbag that I'm going to steal from here. And this is from Gary's guys on Twitter. Any update on how Cheney is recovering from knee injury? I know he's out on spring, but interested to hear any up- update there. All right. He's, he's out there going through work, right? He's not one of those, those handful of guys who's not out there practicing right now. Um, so that's a positive sign. I think, you know, for Cheney, the bigger issue with him is staying healthy. He's been a guy yeah. who unfortunately has dealt with a lot of injuries. Um, I just think we'll, we'll find out soon enough in the fall where he is in his in his development and his skills, because to me, he's still the most talented back on the team. In yeah, my I agree. Opinion. I agree. I think he's the most talented back on the team. But like you said, like we talked about the last podcast, you know, I don't remember him being healthy the last few years, even dating back to high school. Uh, I can't remember the the last full season he was healthy and didn't miss time with injuries. Um, I mean, even coming out of high school, senior year, I think he had like a shoulder thing coming into UM. So, you know, it, it's all about his body moving forward. Can he be durable enough to be counted on? And, and that remains to be seen yet. Because if he can be, the kid's a stud. He's, he's a great player. But, you know, it, it remains to be seen. All right. I'm going to transition here to the tight ends because it kind of fits in with the offensive line, as well as our mailback question. This is from Oscar Ortega, 75. I heard Mallory say that he feels a lot more energetic during practice. Practice, Hopefully that translates to games. Testament to the fourth quarter program. What's our strength and conditioning look like moving forward to the season? What's the focus? Um, good questions, Oscar. Here's how the tight end sort of tie from, from, line, from the offensive line conversation that we just finished. Um, Josh Gaddis said he talked about, you know, and actually it was Will Mallory and Elijah Rowe talked about the, the, you know, 12 personnel having two tight ends on the field. And Gaddis talked about how much they're going to use the tight ends, not just in the passing game, but essentially the uh, running game. And that was a big part of it at Michigan. I know from your study, you, stu- you saw that as well, uh, Carlos, when you broke down the Michigan offense mm-hmm. and looked at some of those numbers. Um, Will Mallory has been a guy who has tried to put on weight and get himself 
uh, to a level where he could block really well. And it remains a work in progress for him. I think Elijah Roy, on the other hand, and some of the other guys that, um, you know, Miami has in its arsenal, like Dominic Memorelli, uh, who's an excellent uh, run blocker and pass blocker. I, I, I think those guys are going to be really effective in this offense. And Arroyo, for what it's worth, he said he still weighs around 250 pounds. He's got his body fat down from, I think, 9 to 6, 6.9% or something like that. Um, so, you know, he's, he's, he definitely looked more muscular to me, more stronger, uh, you know, more equipped. Remember, he, he came in um, last spring a year ago, um, but he was hurt. He, had, he was coming off surgery. Yeah. So he didn't get that spring to build his body up. I really think, you know, between him and Mallory, and they both talked about it, the conditioning, you know, what they did with this fourth quarter program, that they feel so much more explosive. Um, I've heard that from players over and over again. And and they've talked about, you know, the conditioning. And Mallory brought it up today. He said he was at the end of practice. He wasn't tired. Um, and they were playing more tempo. They were, they were up tempo in the 11-11 stuff that I was watching. So I, I, I think from, from, from that perspective, that's my interesting takeaway. Both of them were running with the first team. Um, when they were in that 12 personnel uh, and then Jaleel Skinner, the freshman uh, who they stole from Alabama, right? They got from Bradenton IMG Academies originally from South Carolina. I at first thought there's no way this kid is going to come in and contribute at all because he's too skinny. Well, guess what? He's not too skinny. He still needs to put on more weight, but he looks good to me, Carlos, in terms of physicality and like right. just looking at a guy and saying, man, could he, could he help you? I think he could help Miami at some point next season. Right. And I think the great thing about, tight ends, especially the way they're being used nowadays and used, especially in the Gaddis offense, if you look at what he did at uh, at Michigan or even the way Frank Ponce used him at App State, you don't have to have a guy in line with his hand in the dirt at all times. That's not necessarily how tight ends play anymore, right? You could have two tight ends on the field and neither one of them could be in line on the line of scrimmage. You could have one in the backfield almost as a fullback and have one split out wide. And that presents challenges to the defense because now what are you going to do? You're going to have to go and move a guy over. Do you put a DB on the tight end that's flexed out, or do you move a linebacker on him? If you put a linebacker on Will Malley or Elijah Arroyo, if they're flexed out, chances are he's going to eat him alive, right? Then do you have to put a strong safety on him? Do you move a strong safety down? Now you're weakening yourself in the run game and opening yourself up to a deeper shot because you're only playing one safety over the top by one of the receivers. And if you decide to play off, right, and play a deeper zone coverage, then you've got, let's say, Arroyo in the backfield as a fullback, and they're just going to hammer you with lead plays, right? So those, those that's the versatility of a tight end. You can even go three tight end sets you may have Mamorelli in the backfield and you got both those guys, Will Mallory and Elijah Arroyo, one in line, one offline, and use that in motion and create things with those tight ends. So I think what tight ends do, aside from you know the obvious, it's create versatility in the offense. And at the same time, when you're using additional tight ends and you have one in line, offline, and creating all these different sort of uh, formations with them, is you're creating additional gaps for the defense to, to have to worry about and cover now. And at the same time, having to change the defensive structure to adapt to whatever it is they're seeing from the offense. And then you're creating a weakness in some area. And can you take advantage of that weakness like we just talked about? And that's the advantage of an offense like that using tight ends. And if you look at Michigan's offense, or even if you look at Morgan's offense last year, they had at least one tight end on the field, I would say, 80 to 90% of the time, right? Same thing with App State, with, with Frank there. Frank had his tight ends on there 90 to 95% of the time at least one tight end. He was usually going 12 personnel most of the game, mostly because he didn't have a lot of receivers, but he had talent at tight end. Uh, so that to me is, is the new change that's going to come to this offense. You're not going to see a lot of two by two, four wide sets anymore, but you are going to see versatility in the offense and the way it's run and executed. 
And I, I think, you know, they're going to run the ball better. They're not going to be last in the ACC. I think, I think they're going to improve significantly. I think the tight ends are going to put up big numbers in this offense. Um, I, I, I think this is going to be a successful team that can score points. That's why I think they can win the division. Um, there are other areas, though, where they still have to improve. And one area I would say that after watching for two days, maybe I overestimated a little was wide receiver. And I know there's talent mm-hmm. on this roster, but there's also a lot of young guys that are going into their second or third year here that Miami's counting on to be really, really good. And they're dropping a lot of footballs here early in camp. Uh, there was one instance today, Jacoby George had a pass bounce right off his hands. Al Blades intercepted it. Uh, Thaddeus Franklin, I know he's a running back. He dropped the ball on a swing pass. Frank Latson got open on a deep ball, dropped it as he was coming to the ground. Um, so there, you know, and there were drops on Monday as well. Um, as far as, you know, routine catches, I think, you know, there's going to be challenges getting a true number one receiver, replacing Charleston Rambo and Mike Harley, who were two veteran guys that produced huge numbers. Um, and it's, and it's going to be something we're going to have to monitor. I think it's going to be a, a, a storyline in the beginning of the season. I'm not saying they're not going to be good at receiver. I think they're going to be good at receiver, but you're asking me, Manny, what did you see the first couple of days of camp? Well, I saw a bunch of young receivers making mistakes. Yeah. And I think that that'll come over time. I think you're also missing one of the key guys that's going to be out there competing for possibly a starting job in Romello Brinson, um, who I think of all the young guys to me might have the best chance at starting when he's healthy. I just think he's, he looks the best in terms of the way he looked last season, but you know, Jacoby George flashed at the end of the year and it's sad to see these he's dropping balls early on. Um, Frank Ladson. I mean, that's surprising from a veteran guy that he's coming in and dropping balls already. You would expect that to be the steadying force, kind of like Charleston Rambo was last year. Um, but it doesn't, it hasn't happened yet so far in camp, but you know, it's still early. Like you said, there, there's time for this to develop. And I think I want to see Keyshawn Smith take that next step. Like we've talked about, I think he has the potential to be the number one guy. He's got the explosion. He reminds me a little bit of Amon Richards. And if he can get it all together, I think he'd be explosive in that same way. Um, the starters, the starters today, um, uh, and, and Monday at times, Jacoby George, Keyshawn Smith, Restrepo. Those are the three guys I saw most often with the first unit receiver. Mm-hmm. And then you had Ladson. Uh, Dazlin Warsham um, and Brashard Smith primarily with the second unit. Restrepo, of course, with the first unit in the slot and Smith, um, the second unit. Um, and then Michael Redding was kind of in the rotation with that last group. There's only seven healthy receivers because you still got a, the freshman coming in uh, this summer and then you and Romello Brinson, who's out, as you mentioned. So um, only seven guys getting reps. Maybe they're tired. <laughs> they're running a whole lot of routes in practice. Maybe knows, that's man? leading to it. But Again, that's a little mini storyline in the beginning. In the end, I'm not worried about it because I think talent will prevail, but it's something to keep an eye on, you know, as we as we near the season. Do these guys, especially the spring game, you know, who kind of steps up into that lead role and catches the ball consistently? Well, Mallory talked about it today as a tight end. He said, I want to become somebody who's dependable. Well, guess what? The first half of last season, he wasn't. The second yep. half, he was. Dependable doesn't mean one half of the season uh, and, and, and not the other. Dependable means all season long. Uh, but I will say, let's not forget either, either when Charleston Rambo came in his first two games, it wasn't like he was a superstar. It was that Michigan State game where he really broke out. So maybe it takes a game or two before somebody right. gets into that into that mode. And I think I, what Rambo showed us last year is is how important a vertical threat is, right? Because mm-hmm. a lot of his plays were down the field and Tyler Van Dyke likes to push the ball down the field. And you need somebody that's reliable on those vertical routes. And if they can't have that and if they're only able to work reliably with guys in the slot like a Xavier Restrepo, or use the tight ends and use the backs out of the backfield, 
and maybe sometimes create vertical mismatches with those guys, it's not going to be enough. You need a guy on the outside to push that defense and force a safety to have to come over the top and respect them. If not, then it's going to be a long time. It's going to be long days for, for Todd and Rendag trying to get guys open down the field. Let's switch over to defense. Um, all right. This was the first team off uh, defensive line. Uh, Jafari Harvey and Chance Williams were at end. Leonard Taylor and Jared Harrison Hunt were a defensive tackle. I know there's got to be celebration in the streets that Leonard Taylor is running with the first team because, first of all, he's an elite player. Uh, I thought I heard somebody – I thought I saw like a crowd today on 8th Street with pots and pans banging because Leonard Taylor started defensive tackle today. Yeah, he, he was with the first unit, and he actually created a pressure on Tyler Van Dyke, uh, which caused an incompletion. I saw that in the 11-on-11. 11 11. He got back there. They're obviously not allowed to hit the quarterback, but put the pressure on him tapped him on the shoulder, got the ball release. It was incomplete anyway. So, again, he's doing what he's supposed to do. Second-team defensive line, uh, the tackles were Jordan Miller and Alan Hay Jr., and you had Cyrus Moss getting some snaps, and then you had Josh Neely, 84, the former walk-on, getting snaps as well. Uh, wow. That That's because you have injuries, right? No Nigel Lee Kelly. Uh, the freshman who was supposed to come in and participate, Antonio Maltree, was in a arm sling. He's the, he's coming in to play defensive tackle. Jacob Lichtenstein is supposed to get um, you know some opportunities. He was in there in the rotation. I saw him in the 11-11, but not with the first team. So, um, you know, we've talked about pass rushers, right? Who's going to emerge? Who's going to be the studs? Um, again, that's a position that I look at like, man, there's a lot of opportunity for guys to step up and play. Um, and, and, you know, I will say this as far as the injuries, um, 99, our boy, um, from Columbus and Elijah Roberts, Elijah Roberts got nicked up on the first day of spring practice, uh, kind of rolled his ankle a little bit. He was back out there today, but he wasn't in the rotation. He normally would be. Um, so I think that makes more sense starting with Jafari Harvey, since he would be like the anchor and the strong end since he's a bigger dude. Um, my takeaway, Cyrus Moss needs to put on weight. He's very thin. Nigel Kelly was out there working. He looks bigger than Cyrus Moss right now. Cyrus Moss's legs are very thin. Um, I don't know. Will those guys be able to help this year? I think it's going to be one of those deals where as the season gets later and later in the year, maybe they get more snaps. But I think early on, Miami's going to need these veteran guys to play well. Leonard Taylor's going to have to be a beast. Jafari Harvey's going to have to step mm-hmm. up. Chance Williams is going to have to step up. Um, you know, you're going to need Elijah Roberts healthy to help you to kind of you move him around on the field. Um, I, did I mention, did I forget somebody on a defensive line position? Cause I, I don't know if I'm forgetting somebody that I might've missed that, that pops into your head, Carlos, but I can tell you those were the guys that were out there. I don't know if you're, if I'm, did I, did I miss anybody? No, it's a big name. Not, not that I can think of the top of my head, but I think, uh, like you said, the ends would, should be Jafari Harvey, Elijah Roberts, Cam Williams. Um, well, you're Williams looking at. Is- Williams no longer on the team. He left. Oh, Chance Williams. Well, Chance, Chance Williams. Williams. <laughs> One of the Williams guys. There you go. Uh, Lichtenstein, obviously, you just talked about him. Uh, Leonard Taylor, uh, Jared Harrison Hunt, Jordan Miller, um, Alan Hay. I'm surprised to get some run. It's good to see that. So, yeah, there's nobody coming to the top of my head right now, aside from those guys that, uh, that should be getting some reps. Yeah. I, I, again, that's a position that I think if Miami can find help in the transfer portal, especially at defensive end, I think that's, you know, they do that. We'll see We'll see what happens here after the spring and in the summertime with scholarship numbers, et cetera. But I could see them looking for more defensive line help. Right now, uh, it's just hard. They're not, they're not wearing pads yet. Once we start to see them in pads, maybe we'll get better opinions. 
All right, the linebackers, which obviously is the number one question everybody has in their mind, right? Like, who's going to emerge at that spot? Uh, Charlie Strong. My first observation about uh, linebackers is Charlie Strong is out there uh, with a turtleneck and khakis on, khaki shorts. He is a a braver man than I dealing with this heat. Yeah, which I texted you and Kelvin about earlier today. I was like, what the hell is this guy doing out there in a a turtleneck, long sleeves, and 90-degree weather? Yes. Um, The the quick answer is he's actually uh, – he's boiling his dinner. As he's practicing. So he's got a, he's got a big potato in there and a steak inside his shirt. All right. He's got him an aluminum foil. So by the time he's done with practice, those things are ready to go. Very interesting uh, situation for, for Charlie. I was talking with uh, a parent um, of somebody, one of the linebackers. I don't want to give away who it was, but he said, Charlie's great. The kids love him. He's a, he's a trip off the field. He's a big jokester. But once he's on the field, he turns into a complete a-hole. Like he is, he is all about the results, bro, like all about focus. And if you screw up, he's going to chew you out. Um, and the linebackers are all his. There's nobody assisting him with it as far as, you know, Kevin Steele or anybody else. Kevin Steele's working with the safeties. Um, and then Jamila dies working with the cornerbacks. But as far as the linebacker position is concerned, they kind of leaving Charlie, you know, all of it to him. Um, as far as personnel, Corey Flagg, Deshaun Troutman, Seen those guys mostly with the first team. Deshaun Troutman, to, Deshaun Troutman was more today because Keontra Smith was was also with the first team on Monday. Today I saw Smith, Ryan Ragoni um, at middle linebacker with the second unit, and then Wesley Besaint sprinkled in. Again, Chase Smith is the guy um, that you say to yourself, "Hey, when when is he, um, you know, going to get healthy, and how does he sort of fit into the thing?" But those are the names right now. Um, there's some other names that I didn't mention, right? You're probably asking yourself, where's Sam Brooks? Um, where's uh, um, Tyreek Austin Cave? I didn't see those guys out there. Okay. So, again, um, we'll see what happens with that position. But that's sort of the early read here in camp. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I'm not too surprised. Um, you know, Corey Flagg is probably the best guy they have right now to play middle linebacker. Um, although he he's not athletic or he wasn't athletic enough last season to really be an effective middle linebacker. Hopefully this fourth quarter program and, and the strength and conditioning program they're using with David Feld, with, with Aaron Feld, um, changes that a little bit, at least makes him, uh, gives him the ability to be a better player in space, which was his biggest prop. Um, I think Deshaun Troutman starting next to him is, is pretty interesting. I thought he might've had a shot to get some playing time this year um, to see him moving up, obviously early in the spring without anybody else competing against him um, is interesting. Hopefully he can, <clears throat> he can be a contributor, if not a starter. Um, Wesley was saying, I think eventually as he builds his body and he gets more acclimated to being in college may just push for a starting role, hopefully by mid season or maybe sooner, depending on what goes on. Like I've said with Keontre Smith, I think he's good, but I don't necessarily think he's a linebacker. I think he's more of a striker. Um, who knows where he ends up? Maybe he does stay at that uh, weak side linebacker role and maybe fights his way back into a starting job, but who knows? Um, to me, the other question is Avery Huff, you know, right. How, what is he finally going to do? Is he finally going to pick up this playbook? Is he going to finally understand his assignments? Can you use his athleticism? Maybe that's a guy that you look at and say, okay, maybe he's not a linebacker. We need help uh, in the pass rush. How about converting him into just a pass rush end, right? A guy that we use situationally, like they used to use a Trent Harris, uh, like a Demetrius Jackson, you know, under the Mark, under the Mark Rick Manny Diaz era, use those guys in those special situations to bring him in at end just to create havoc and use his length and athleticism to be a force there on passing situations. Yeah, I think linebacker is very interesting. One thing I will say is, you know, there were times when they lined up with only two linebackers because Gilbert Frierson 
um, was out there on the perimeter. I think Keontra Smith was out there in coverage at times, uh, sort of in a, in a slot type role. Um, you know, so you're going to see how they sort of implement the, the, or how do they sort of use that strike quote unquote striker position, the money line, whatever it is that they're calling it. Um, it'll be interesting how it's used in, in the spring game. That's how, that's when I'm going to judge it. Hey, how did they use that third linebacker spot slash, you know, extra DB, um, that should be your next question, actually. Whenever you get to talk to Kevin Steele, what the hell are you guys calling it this year? I think they're calling it the money, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, all right, so you have that at linebacker. Um, the cornerbacks, to Corey Couch was in the slot, Al Blades, DJ Ivy. Those were kind of your first team cornerbacks. Um, you know, these first couple of days, you've you've seen you know Gabe Frierson, uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Gilbert Frierson, not Gabe Frierson, Gilbert Frierson. Gabe Frierson uh, was my dentist. Yes. <laughs> That's why I got confused. You're Dennis. Um, yes. Uh, he, he's kind of in the slot out in coverage as well, which is what he is. He could be a DB or, or, a, you know, inside the box tackle guy. Gil did look bigger to me physically. He looked like he made some gains and I know he did an interview with us and talked about it a little bit. Um, but as far as the backup corners, Marcus Clark, Isaiah Dunson, um, those are the guys lining up at cornerback. I mentioned earlier, Jamila Dye is sort of focused on that group. Um, and, and the safeties are going with Kevin Steele. Malik Curtis was in there as, as in the rotation as well. Miami, of course, has Tyreek Stevenson and Kamari Rogers out. They're not part of the rotation. And, and then, of course, Daryl Porter Jr., who will arrive in the summer. So you got three cornerbacks out. This is a good look, good opportunity to look at Al Blades and DJ Ivy, Clark and Dunson, and see, can they help you? Manny Diaz had moved Dunson to safety. Well, Dunson's back at corner uh, under this regime. So... We will see what they can contribute. Your thoughts on the cornerback position? Yeah, I, I, I think, obviously, the guys who I think might end up being the number one and number two corners aren't even there right now, right? And Tyreek Stevenson should be the number one corner. I think Daryl Porter Jr. may likely end up being the number two corner. You know, DJ Ivy's been here for a long time. He's been very up and down, inconsistent. Can Jamil Dye get the most out of him? Can he finally get him to play uh, mentally the way he needs him? Because he's got the athletic ability, right? He's got the speed. He's got the length. He's a bigger corner. You know, if he's got all things clicking, then he could be a pretty good corner, but he just hasn't shown it consistently here. You know, Al Blades coming back from you know, the the uh, the hernia this year after following the, the myocarditis back in 2020. You know, he's had a couple uh, unfortunate incidents when it comes to, to his health. Hopefully he can work his back way into being a contributor. He wasn't a great corner, but he was solid. He was decent. He's a guy that can contribute there if you need him to. And I think he's good enough to be at least a rotational guy. Um, to Corey Couch, I'm glad to see him playing in the slot. I don't think he's an outside corner because of his size. And they kind of exposed that last season throughout the year when he was on the outside. They were taking shots at him one-on-one. -on -one. Um, I think the interesting guy here, I think Isaiah Dunson could be something. Uh, I don't know how, how good he's, he, he is in terms of his speed and his coverage and getting back in, into man-to-man. Uh, -man. But I think his, he's, he's, he's willing to come up and tackle, which I think is interesting as a corner, uh, which I think is a necessity at, at, in some cases. And Malik Curtis is kind of the wild card. Is he really a corner? Should he have been a wide receiver? How are you going to use that guy? Can you use him in the return game to take advantage of his speed? And does his body develop? Because he was a kind of a thin guy when he first came in. Yeah. Um, all good questions. I, you know, again, like you said, the two best guys aren't here yet or, or, or not in, you know, practicing per se. Uh, Tyreek is the one. I would say Porter has a really good chance of being the two. But I wouldn't be surprised if Al Blades or Ivy um, – you know, compete for that spot. Porter's a smaller guy. Blades and Ivy have at least have, have a little bit more size. All right. Your safeties with Cameron Kitchens out. 
uh, James Williams and Avante Williams are getting all the snaps at, at first team safety. And then your, your backups have been Brian Balaam and then Jalen Harrell, a kid who really wasn't utilized at all uh, under the Manny Diaz regime. They're the guys that were getting the second, the primarily the second team reps. Uh, Kashawn Washington is obviously another guy out uh, because of injury, but he was out on the field. Um, you know, that's what I've got at the safety position right now, as far as guys that I'm seeing contributing and, and actually participating. Um, let me look at the list of who else was is supposed to be out there. Um, Isaiah Dunson is no longer a safety, at least not right now. And then Mark Keith Williams doesn't get here till the summer. So those are your, that's your safety rotation and how, how guys are lined up. I wouldn't be surprised if that's one of the positions that you see some guys exiting uh, after spring ball and heading out into the transfer portal. Um, because if, if Keyshawn Washington seems himself buried deep on the depth chart right now during the spring, when Cam Kitchens comes back, he's going to be even deeper, right? So it's interesting to me to see Brian Balaam. And, uh, well, Brian Balaam was was supposed to be a pretty good player last year, then got the injury and, and missed time. Uh, but to see Jalen Harrell back at safety is interesting to me after Manny Diaz and moved him down into the corner. Um, so that's that's an interesting move. And to see him ahead of Keyshawn Washington, who spent the entire season at safety, to me, is, is interesting as well. So that means Jalen's picking it up quicker than Keyshawn is. So who knows what happens there at safety? I think the interesting thing is safety is you've got three incredible talents and they're all in the same class. They're, yep. they're going to be fresh. They're going to be sophomores now. Three guys are going to be sophomores. So getting playing time at safety in the near term here at the University of Miami, not going to be a lot of snaps, right? And they're probably going to want to find a way to get all three guys on the field at the same time in some capacity, somehow, just because they are probably your three best defensive backs. Maybe Tyreek Stevenson can sneak in there, but I think talent-wise, those are your three best defensive backs right now on the team uh, just because of the what, what they bring from not just sort of speed and strength, but ability to tackle and be physical. I, I'd say if, if you know you had Cam Kitchens out there, you probably could experiment with James Williams at that, you know, in the box at that right, striker yeah. money position. Um, because to me, that's where he's so dangerous, being in that box. Uh, he's long, he's rangy, he's going to yank guys down. He's a good tackler, a big hitter. Uh, that to me is where he, he can make some serious NFL money as a first round pick. And I'm not saying he can't do it as a safety, but man, I would love to see that experimentation. Um, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, I think we did a pretty thorough breakdown there of every single position with some early thoughts here in camp. We'll continue to do that uh, in, in the next future podcast. But I want to jump into some of these other questions from the mailbag that we haven't addressed yet. Um, this is from Canes for Life, son of AC42 on Twitter. How can there not be drastic improvement in our football team considering the drastic staff upgrade? This team was a few points away from being 10-2 and two last year with a bad head coach staff leading them. If this team is only a 9-1 team after all of this, dot, dot, dot. Okay, so I'm going to use a famous quote by former uh, Miami Hurricanes offensive coordinator first and then eventually Miami Dolphins offensive coordinator, Gary Stevens. So Gary Stevens was the offensive coordinator for the Dolphins when his team was struggling with a bunch of talent on offense, uh, supposedly. And they asked him, Gary, what's going on? Is it the play calling? What, what's going on there? Why aren't we scoring points? And his simple response was, you can't make chicken salad out of chicken shit. So it, it's based on the talent. So yes, Maybe this staff is a lot better than the one before, but there's maybe there's a ceiling as to the talent and the ability that you have out there, right? You can only maximize it so much, right? And let's say you don't maximize it enough to beat Clemson or Texas A&M. You've already got two losses right there. And what if you get into the ACC title game and you lose again to Clemson? So now you've got three losses. You could have a loss during the regular season against your rival Florida State. Who knows? It's a rivalry game. In those games, anything can go. 
And we saw that happen this past year where Miami should have won, ended up losing uh, for various reasons. But I don't, I don't discount Florida State just because it's a rivalry game and how intense those games generally are and they can go either way. And let's be, let's be honest, over the years, Miami has proven that they can throw away a game here and there in the ACC because they just have games every year where they lose that they shouldn't lose. And it's happened to Mario, too, at Oregon. I mean, last year with Stanford, he's lost to unranked teams in the past like Arizona. So he, every team has these sort of issues until you build your talent to the point where you are just a wrecking crew and the only teams that ha- have a shot against you are the elite teams, those top 10, top 15 teams that can really compete with you. We're nowhere near that level. So you're basically playing every game on a razor's edge, right? Your talent isn't dominate enough to be able to overwhelm people. Your coaching staff may be great, so they can give you that little extra boost. But if you are either even or lesser in talent, it's going to be a struggle. Here's what I, how I would respond. And I had this conversation with a couple of other reporters who cover the team and have covered the team for years now. A lot of them look at the talent and say eight and four. They still see a team that's only eight and four. And I can't argue with them. Um, the issue is how do you maximize and squeeze out the most ability as a coach, right? And I think this this reader, Canes for Life, with this question says, well, why can't we be 10 and two? And I agree. I think with great coaching and players developing, this can be a 10 and two team. The way I'm going to measure this coming season is real simple. How does Miami look against Texas A&M and Clemson? Do they get blown out off the field? Are they pushed around and shoved out of the way? Or are they in the game with those teams, even if they right. lose? Um, the ACC to me is very tough to, to, to really measure as a measuring stick because every year Miami has been, from a talent perspective, a little bit better than most of the teams in the ACC, but not significantly better. Right. You've had guys like Sam Howell who single-handedly lead UNC to wins over Miami with his performance. You've had... Uh, Virginia catch a few lucky bounces and, and beat Miami, right? One off the upright, um, one off a deflection in the end zone. Um, Miami has to get, get to me, improvement is beating Virginia by two touchdowns, at least. It's beating North Carolina by two or three touchdowns, at least. It's beating Pittsburgh, not having to hold on to your ass in the fourth quarter. It, it, it's beating those teams that you, quote, unquote, have more talent than in a comfortable way where all of a sudden you're getting younger players snaps. That's going to be progress for me. I think getting the right. 10 wins is a great number to shout out and say, get the 10 wins. That's real improvement. Yes. The record says what, what, what it says, but ultimately it's the way you play, how you win and how you look even in losses. That's going to, that's going to be more to me what I'm looking at this season as far as progress for this program. Yeah. They could be nine and three and look better than the team that went 10 and two in 2017. Right. Correct. Um, they could be, uh, or 10 and one, they, they could be um, light years ahead of last year and, and end up nine and three, eight and four. But I think at the end of the day, like you said, it's, it's, it's there's such a thin margin for error, uh, especially when you have a team that's as thin as it is right now in terms of the depth, um, that anything can sort of swing a season one way or another. And we saw that last season with the injury to De'Ari King, Tyler Van Dyke stepped in and ended up playing really well, but it took two games for him to get acclimated and really figure out the offense and for Rhett Lashley to figure out how to use them for them to go on that run. Um, you know, you could have injuries that maybe derail the season because there aren't guys to, enough guys to really roll in there and step in. And you can have, like I said, a loss to a rival that's unexpected or a loss to another team that's unexpected, but you finish off strong, win a bowl game and end up looking really good down the stretch. It's really more about, I think what we want to see is, some of the deficiencies that have been around the program for the last few years finally get resolved. You know, you want to see the defense tackle. You want to see them be physical. 
You want to see the offense be able to run the ball at will against people. You want to see this team impose its will on other teams and be physical with them. You don't want to see this team get its ass kicked up and down the field and give up 1,597 yards rushing in one game, right? Uh, You don't want to see them get beat on a fourth and 14 with the game on the line. You want to see them erase those mental errors, be disciplined, be in the right spot. And if they get beat, they get beat, but not create unforced errors that hand games over. Correct. A um, couple questions that I'm going to punt on and push ahead to the next couple of weeks, because I want to get answers for you to some of these questions. I just don't have any of them right now. Uh, this is from Andrew 17 on Twitter. Any updates on a new football facility or locker room? I've said here many times that the locker room is without a doubt being done as far as the football facilities and exactly how much money they're spending, what it's going to look like. All of those kind of things. That's a Dan Radakovich question. And I haven't had a chance to talk to Dan Radakovich since his press conference. So I'd like I'd like to have some answers to those questions. I just don't have them right now. I want specifics. I want to give you specifics. But there's no question the facilities are being upgraded. Know that, Andrew. There's no question money is being spent to upgrade these facilities. But I want to give you details. Otherwise, I'm not really answering your question. Also, uh, I, I want to let it be known to the coaches that I'm going to create my own little coach's lounge in my backyard if I want to come hang out. Uh, Manny and I will sponsor you. If Dan Radkovich wants to cut me a check to upgrade it even more, that's great. But there will be cigars, uh, scotch, beer, and we can hang out and you guys can unwind in the backyard. I'm all for that. I can't wait to get back from California to do that with you. Um, This is and for tax season then, because I know you're busting your ass. This is from uh, Nick Strong, KY uh, Kane 23. Uh, How much of a difference have you seen in the way practices ran compared from last year? Crystal Ball and 305 basically asked the same thing. What do you notice that's different this year so far in spring ball compared to last year? I'm going to answer both of your guys' questions this way, and thanks for sending them in. Um, Two days is not nearly enough time to give you a good opinion. I will tell you that there's no music playing. One of the parents pointed that out to me. There's no music. I like that. Um, There's a lot of running to and from um, activities. Right. Like they don't just walk or, or kind of jog, slow jog over. There's it's running between drills. There's a lot of that. Um, but that's kind of just the early impressions. That's all I can really give you. I mean, I want to see these guys in pads. I want to see what they look like um, when they're exhausted. And so far, they don't look, look exhausted. I'll tell you that. But it's shorts and helmets. So we don't know. Um, all right. And and T.T. Uh, Makati, your boy there, uh, messaged me. Keep doing what you're doing. We appreciate you bringing us Kane's info. I appreciate you, TT. Uh, thank you for uh, for sending the question in. This is from uh, actually there was no question, but just kind of a, a just a, you just wanted to pat yourself on the back and, and let TT's comment uh, just sit in the air. Yeah, that's what I wanted to do. This is from Fabo or F A B O Fabio Fabio Fabo. Yes, Fabio is me. How is Mario different than Manny Diaz? Well, he's taller for one. Yes, a lot taller. And a lot bigger. Um, he speaks more Spanish, much more Spanish. A lot, yes. Um, how is Mario different than Manny Diaz? Um, I think all along, Mario, his experience, having gone what he's gone through, coaching at Oregon, being at Alabama, has him in the perfect place to have success at Miami. He's won. He's lost. And he's experienced what it's like to coach across the country on the West Coast, in the Southeastern Conference. Um, He's ready for this job. Manny Diaz wasn't ready for this job. And that's not a a knock on Manny. I think he was the best choice at the time for uh, the University of Miami. 
that time was what a 24 hour span between Mark Rick stepping down and them making the decision. Um, Mario, I don't know that he would have been ready for this uh, when Mark, when, 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 you know, Manny took over from Mark Richt. Um, I think it was good that Mario stayed out there in the long run because I think he won Rose Bowls, he won conference championships, and he lost conference championships. And I think he was hungry as hell. 51 years old, he's experienced a lot. Manny didn't experience a lot. He was at Temple for 17 days as a head coach. He was an assistant everywhere else. They're two different guys. Um, as far as how they deal with the media, the amount of energy, heart that they put in, I've written about this already. Mario's a maniac on the recruiting trail. Manny, not a maniac. Manny wanted guys. I don't think he would get into a fight to get Shamar Stewart. Um, I think Mario did. Those are the differences. Yeah, and I think like to your point about how Mario's uh, coaching education has gone, he's gone from coaching at the University of Miami with not just playing there, but also coaching at the University of Miami as a grad assistant and eventually as an, a, a tight ends coach to coaching with Greg Schiano at, at Rutgers Huge to them. Yeah. Yeah. So then going to which Greg Schiano was highly successful at Rutgers during that time period. That's when he turned Rutgers around um, before he went to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, having to build the FIU program from nothing, essentially after Don Strzok left it in shambles after he took it over initially as the inaugural coach, um, then moving on to Alabama, after a short stint in Miami for about three weeks, and then moving on to learn from Nick Saban, getting that master's course in coaching, and then moving on to Oregon to try and further his career as a coordinator, where he first got his, his first chance to be an offense coordinator, where he was co-coordinator uh, with the guy that now I think is at uh, Boise State. So um, he was elevated after Willie Taggart left to Florida State. So it was a different situation than he's in now. He was elevated as a coach at Oregon, a place that was trying to reclaim that success from Chip Kelly, uh, where they lost it under Helfrin. It started to build back a little bit with Willie Taggart only after one year. And then he starts to come on board, retains most of the staff. So he still doesn't have his full fingerprints on the program. He was starting to get his fingerprints on the program over the last couple of years. Uh, but he really wasn't fully, it wasn't fully Mario's program yet. It was about to get there. I think now in the next couple of years with these recruiting classes that he was bringing in. And then he comes over to Miami where it's fully his program. He's got a 10 year commitment as a coach. He gets to handpick the entire staff. Right. So it's not a holdover from when he was the coordinator at Oregon and some of Willie Taggart's staff where he's backfilled some of the positions. But now he's actually handpicked every person that he has on the staff for a purpose with a reason and put together one hell of a staff. And he's built this program now in terms of the way it's structured, uh, its infrastructure, the way he operates it in his vision and in his, his own image and learn from those mistakes that he made at Oregon, FIU, all the places he's been, but also applying a lot of the, success, the successes he's had and doing it in a way that's different than before where he's pouring his entire heart and soul into it because it's his alma mater, a place he loves dearly, a place he associates with what he said is the best times of his life because he grew up here wanting to be a hurricane, got that chance, won national championships, coached here and gets a chance to rebuild this place to where it once was. So I think all of that is to say that he had a better education in coaching than Manny in terms of his head coaching experience, the guys he got to learn from. Um, and as a player, and the, 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 the connection that Miami has to his heart and soul, it's more in his fiber and his being than Manny. Although Manny was a UM fan growing up, as was I, it's different when you've broken bones for the program, when you've bled for the program, when you've literally had to be in a hospital bed because of all you've given to that program. It means a bit more. And when you show up to coach the same day that you bury your mother. I mean, that's... Yeah. I, that's I, work I, ethic. 
that's uh, you know, I, I texted somebody who's very close to Mario uh, about that. I said, I don't know how he found the strength to do what he did. And the response I got in all capital letters was business first. That's what he thinks, you know, and he is going to give his heart to the University of Miami program, win a championship or not. He is going to give it his all because how much he loves being here and it's a different level. So Carlos, you love this program. Thank you for uh, being a part of the wide ride podcast. Make sure to follow him on Twitter at. Uh, El Ledo 1307 E L L E D O one three zero seven or at M I A all day pod, which I don't tweet much from, but that's the podcast site. Uh, you could also f- listen to my podcast at the M I A all day podcast on Spotify uh, Apple podcast, anywhere they have podcasts, I push it out through Anchor. So Anchor hits all those major spots. We started this podcast with the sun beginning to set. Now I'm in pitch darkness here in my office uh, upstairs at my house. Um, Antonio Tripp, four-star offensive lineman. They picked up out of the Baltimore area. Miami got a third commitment in the 2023 class. I'm going to see if at some point I can do an interview with him, get him on the pod. Uh but for now, I'm going to just close out this episode because I feel like we covered a lot of ground, Carlos. We really do. Yeah. And, and you've got to get ready to catch your plane to Cali, man. And, I, and I'm so pumped up. I mean, I'm going to be taking pictures and writing stories and just kind of soaking in uh, the, the within those stories. You got to start giving me some food. Reviews. So I need to I need some Roscoe chicken waffles. I need you to to hit uh, the in and out. I need you to do uh, to do some stuff on the USC campus. Throw out the U, do some disrespectful stuff to the USC campus, uh, compare their facilities to, to Miami's. And see what else you can do out there in L.A., man. Get into some hijinks. Maybe go to Disney World. Maybe go to Disneyland and yeah. take some pictures over there as well. Yeah, I'm, I want to see if Lincoln Riley kicks me out. And and same thing uh, with Chip Kelly at UCLA. It's Friday, Saturday is going to be those two spots. I'm what just you can do is a- you can steal some Jordans from Lincoln Riley and say, hey, these Jordans were in the portal. I didn't steal them. <laughs> I love it. Carlos, thanks again, brother. We will catch up with you guys next week. Peace. I'm the new-